will grab your copy of scripture open up to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 Deuteronomy 8 you'll find that on page 211 in the pew Bible in front of you again similar to last week you'll need to keep your Bible open and handy uh, so that you can reference these scriptures the ones that will come up on the screen are the ones outside of the text in Deuteronomy 8 so you'll need to follow along in your copy as we're going to look again we're, we're taking a a brief hiatus from the book of Luke. We've been studying through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, what a glorious and wonderful time we've had there. But today we're going to look at Deuteronomy 8. I, uh, I really feel that the Lord has placed this passage on my heart for a number of reasons. I think uh, part of it has to do with the place in which our country is right now, uh, facing the election and uh, just the anxiety and the trepidation and concern that I know that is in uh, many of the hearts in this room. And I hope and pray that as we go through this scripture, it will uh, just minister to your heart and bring comfort to you. But also, really, my goal today is uh, this morning is to uh, bring this passage of scripture personally uh, before you. I think this passage applies to each and every one of us individually. And we'll come together tonight in this evening service and we will uh, spend a little bit of time studying God's Word and then we're going to spend some time praying and interceding for our nation. But this morning, Deuteronomy 8 is really a passage of Scripture that deals with as much of the book of Deuteronomy is, is about the issue of the wilderness. Deuteronomy is really a collection of sermons. It's a collection of uh, sermons preached by Moses uh, to the people. Uh, the beautiful thing about these sermons is that they were directly uh, spoken to the people by God through Moses. We have a record of them. We can go back. We can learn from them. This ancient text is so applicable and so pertinent to our lives today and to our situation. And here's the thing I want you to realize is that none of us in this room are exempt from the wilderness. All of us. You know, myself included, I think oftentimes uh, when you're in the wilderness, the, the temptation is to think that uh, you're in the wilderness because God is punishing you for something, uh, because God is displeased with you. It may be that He's uh, displeased. It may be that He's chastening or teaching us. Uh, he's not punishing us. He's working in our lives as His children. But I want you to know you're not alone and that we all walk through the wilderness. I find myself... Uh, in times just in the wilderness. And I find such comfort in the, in the words of Moses. I feel like I can identify oftentimes with the grief and the frustration that he feels. Uh, he's a person who not only has to care for his own walk with the Lord and his family, but then the grief that goes along with uh, feeling the weight and the burden of a people and a people's sin and a people's struggles. And so um, I just hope that you find comfort in knowing that uh, I walk through the wilderness with you. Uh, we all go there. And it's a, it's, a, it's a constant struggle and a constant battle to maintain a fervor in, uh, in my own walk with the Lord and then care and concern for my family. And then on top of that, the, the grief of my heart oftentimes of people that I love who's marriages are struggling or who are facing great health challenges or 
whatever the case may be. And so it's, it's a constant, it's a constant battle and always rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. And uh, what carries me through is the understanding of who God is and how He works in the lives of His people. And that's what we're going to see today in Deuteronomy 8. Let's pray, and then I'll read and we'll study together. Father, we thank You for Your good Word. Thank You for the gift that it is to us, Lord. I pray that You'll use this Scripture this morning to speak to us, Lord God, as Your people, to lead us and guide us in the way we should go. Father, I pray that You'd remove me from this time and, Lord, use me as Your mouthpiece as You did Moses just to speak, Lord, directly. May, may we as Your people, as Your children, hear directly from the throne room of heaven through this passage, Father God. Thank You for the Word. Thank You for the gift. Thank You for Jesus. And, Lord God, we thank You for the opportunity we have today to hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Deuteronomy 8, we're going to begin reading in verse... One, every commandment which I command to you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, but he, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forgot the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions scorpions, and, and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that He might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power... And the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth. That He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be. If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day 
that you shall surely perish. Now Moses is speaking to the people of God who have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now this 40 years of wandering has been a uh, it's been an eventful time. It's been a time where uh, the people of God have struggled and they've been on this roller coaster, this emotional roller coaster of ups and downs. And every time you turn around, they're grumbling, complaining, and they're, they're struggling to understand. And Moses is just uh, constantly just interceding uh, on behalf of the people and begging the Lord to have mercy on them. And every time he turns around, you know, the people are, are squandering the blessing of God or forgetting the goodness of God in the past. And I, I believe that the, the primary uh, sort of thing we need to understand as we approach this passage of Scripture is that a, a Christian, a person who is uh, a child of God, is to live confidently in the present. Whatever the present is that you find yourself in today, a Christian should live confidently in this present time, boldly facing the future because of who God is and what He's done, and and in the knowledge and understanding of the God of the Scripture. You see, the Scripture is given to us as a historical record of how God deals with people. Now, God hasn't changed, and people haven't changed. Everything else has changed, but God's still the same God, and we're still the same weak, silly, shallow people that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so by studying this and understanding this, you can bring such great comfort to your heart as you walk and live in this world and face the circumstances and the situations which come into your life. And you won't sit in front of the television just uh, bewildered at the things that are going on. Or you won't, you know, chew your fingernails off worried about things that are beyond your control. You'll know You'll know who you are, you'll know who God is, and you'll see clearly the way in which He deals with people. So let me just give you a few things to think about this morning. Number one, I want you to see we cannot survive within the wilderness. We cannot survive within the wilderness. You can't. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, So He humbled you. God humbled us. He allowed us to hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that you might, that you might uh, know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. I mean, God's going through these, uh, through all of these things, telling the people, you will not survive the wilderness. The wilderness will kill you. That's why it's the wilderness. That's why it's uninhabited. Israel's been wandering out in it, and apart from God, they would have all perished. Every single one of them would perish. It's a desolate place. It's a place of thorns. It's a place of danger. It's a place of thirst. It's a place of hardship. It's a place of struggle. The definition of a wilderness is a place that will kill you unless you receive help. You see, you can be lost in the wilderness for a time, but you can't exist indefinitely in the wilderness apart from help because eventually the wilderness is going to get you. Well, this world is a wilderness. It's a wilderness. It can sustain life for a time. But you cannot live on this earth, in this life, in this system forever. It will eventually, like the wilderness, result in death unless you receive help 
from outside, help from beyond yourself. We need rescue from the wilderness. And so God's simply painting a picture of the wilderness and, and our need for Him in the wilderness. You know, if you think about the wilderness, think about the desert. Think about how the desert uh, in the daytime is blistering hot. And there's nowhere to hide from the heat as the heat just pelts down upon you. But then what happens at night? The sun goes down and suddenly it's freezing cold and there's nowhere to go away from, to get away from the cold. There's nowhere to take shelter. And isn't it interesting that God comes to His people by day as a, as a cloud. And He comes to them at night as a fire. Just something for you to think about. The wilderness is a difficult place. The wilderness is a harsh place. And it's a tricky place because the thing about being in the wilderness, you've seen uh, uh, stories on TV of people that have been out in the desert and they're walking along and there's nothing but sand for miles and miles and all they, they start dreaming about something to drink. And then they start imagining this oasis out on the horizon of palm trees and flowing water. Well, here's the thing about the wilderness. You know when you're out in the wilderness that the water's there. You just can't get to it. You know, you know there's water in the ground. You just can't get to it. And so you're, you know, every time you walk up and you see where, where there's a creek bed, where there once was water flowing, but now it's dried up. But you start imagining that, you know, and, and as you're approaching, you're thinking just maybe there's a little bit of water running down a stream. You know, in the wilderness, there might be a hole or a cistern or an old well, but it's not deep enough to reach the water, the water that you know is there. Now, you, you think about how that applies to our own life. As we walk through life on this earth apart from God, what happens? We, we, we find comfort in, we know that what we need is something more. So we find comfort in things like our families or our jobs. You see, they represent the well. We find comfort in, in, in who we are. And we sort of set our identity up based on the things that we accomplish or the person that we are. But here's what we find. There comes a point in our life where we realize those things aren't deep enough to quench the thirst within us. Isn't that our testimony? That you see, they're, they're not deep enough. They don't reach the water that we need. They're just sort of substitutes. They're like this, this oasis that we imagine. And when we come up to a creek bed that's dried up, you see, and we're thinking maybe, maybe there'll be some water in there. And then suddenly one day there was rain and rain was washing through there. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And in our lives, we're going along and we think the creek bed is always going to be there. And then the doctor calls and says, you have cancer. And suddenly the creek's dried up. Suddenly there's a, a, a phone call in the middle of the night and it's a state trooper. There's been an accident. And all of a sudden the creek bed's dried up. You see, we know we need something and there's little glimpses of it around us. But what we need is, is far deeper, is far greater. And so if we first and foremost understand that this life is a wilderness on this earth, this earth, it's a wilderness. And that, that for believers... We ought not be surprised by suffering. We, because at the moment of salvation, 
You, although your citizenship was conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, although everything for you changes as an eternal person in your relationship with God, you still have to live out the remainder of your life on this wilderness. And so there's going to be suffering. There's still snakes and still scorpions. And we're surrounded by thirsty people who are struggling and hurting. You know, the last statistics I saw said that uh, one in two, 50% of all people in the United States at some point in their life are going to be diagnosed with cancer. Now, I think some of you in this room are probably shocked by that. You know why I think that? It's because people are so shocked that they have cancer. But listen... 50% of all of us in this room, half of us in this room at some point are going to be diagnosed with some form of cancer. So, why would we be shocked? One in two. Well, we can't, we can't survive the wilderness. We cannot. Number two, we can't survive without the wilderness. We cannot survive without the wilderness. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. How did the people end up in the wilderness? God put them in the wilderness. So you can't survive the wilderness, yet how do you get there? God put you there. That's how you, 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 you need the wilderness because God puts it there, so it must be there for a reason. Well, what is the reason? Well, first of all, where do we find God? In the wilderness. That's where we find God. The overwhelming testimony in this room is, my life was going along, all of a sudden, the creek bed dried up, and I found God. I found God in the midst of my my suffering, in the midst of my struggles. All of a sudden you realize, life wasn't just this rosy, simple, easy, sort of walking along uh, experience. And when life gets difficult, that's when people find God. You see, and when you read the Scripture, what happens? Moses is is preaching. Where did he find God? In the wilderness. Where was the burning bush? In the wilderness. Where did God reveal the law to Moses? In the wilderness, on Mount Sinai. We find God in the wilderness. Where did Hagar find God? In the wilderness. Where did Elijah find God? In the wilderness. Where did Jacob find God? In the wilderness. It's always in the wilderness. Israel is led into the wilderness first. Then God meets them and gives them the law. John the Baptist begins his ministry by doing what? Going out into the wilderness to to preach and to baptize. You see, people find God in the wilderness. Apart from the wilderness, you won't find God. You see, in the wilderness, we can't forget God. But in prosperity, we can't remember God. You see, that's what Moses is saying here. Now, you just read this passage and you think about this. Tonight, we'll, we'll look at how this applies to our nation, but look at how it applies to us personally. In the wilderness, we can't forget God. Why? Because you can't forget the fact that your shoes aren't, your, your clothes aren't wearing out when they should be, that your feet aren't swelling when they ought to be. You can't forget when you're drinking water that's coming out of a rock. 
But as soon as you go away and the creek beds are flowing, you forget all about the rock. You forget all about the manna when the cupboards are full and when everybody's got plenty. And that's why he says in verse 2, he says, you shall remember that it was the Lord that led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And over and over, verse 11, beware that you don't forget, verse 14, that when your heart is lifted up or when you get prideful that you don't forget the Lord, verse 18, that you remember the Lord, verse 19, if by any means you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods. In other words, this is important. It's it's as if you picture uh, a wedding ceremony. And there you are standing there uh, getting married. And all of a sudden, in, in the midst of the wedding ceremony, the bride or the groom just forgets. Forgets why they're there. Forgets how they got there. Forgets the importance of everything that they're saying. Goes on from that moment and forgets the vows that they spoke to one another then what happens to the relationship? In other words, when you forget, there's the destruction of what is put together in remembering. And so by forgetting, it begins to unravel. This is what God's teaching us in Deuteronomy 8. He's teaching us that we, we don't forget who God is and what He's done. This, this passage of Scripture, it's not about being careful with money. It's not about managing your money or, or taking care of your resources. It's about knowing God and walking with God and worshiping God. That's what this passage is about. Remember in Luke chapter 18, uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Rod preached on this passage of Scripture uh, he, he pulled it all together when, when he got to Zacchaeus. But in verse 25, Jesus said, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. Now, here's what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say that it's easier for a rich man to be humble. It's easier for a rich man to be grateful. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said... It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the point Jesus is making is not about being humble or grateful. It's about entering the kingdom of heaven. So when you're self-reliant, when you're self-sufficient, when you have the resources you need, in other words, when you don't need God to keep your shoes because you can afford to buy new shoes, when you don't need God to feed you manna because you have your own food, when you don't need God to bring water from a rock because you have all that you care to drink, then what happens is that self-reliance, it begins to take over our life. And so what we do is we then transition into this sort of culture in which we live today where people are God-reliant on Sundays and self-reliant the rest of the week. That one day a week, people come and compartmentalize their life and and they're they're God-reliant. They're God-reliant at church. But the rest of the week, they're self-reliant. Well, now hold on, Pastor. You can't just throw that out there. Well, yeah, sure I can. I just did. You see, that's why every time I I talk about reading the Bible, I talk about, you know, I could could talk this morning about the people who uh, are 
still hanging in there reading the Scripture. Every, they're going to read through the entire Bible this year. And so they've made it to November and they can see the end in sight. And I could talk about the people in this room who have come to me and said, Hey, I started doing that and I got so excited I finished up in August. And so what should I do now? But then a lot of people start sloping down in their seat. You see, listen, I'm not trying to condemn you. I just want you to face reality. The reason you don't read your Bible is because you don't need God. You come to church and you bring your Bible and you sit here and you listen to me. But on Monday, you don't need Him. So you're not going to wake up. You can go to work without reading your Scripture. You can go to work Tuesday without So you don't need Him. And so you become self-reliant. But you see, you can't forget God Monday through Saturday and then remember Him on Sunday. It doesn't work like that. So you think you can. You can imagine a world in which that might exist, but it's the wrong, you're in the wrong world. You're not in the right wilderness. You, you don't see things the way they really are. You're looking at a mirage. If you don't have a relationship with God on Monday, you don't have a relationship with Him. That's just how it works. You see, the passage is teaching us that me and you live and breathe according to every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we live in a wilderness and we're utterly dependent upon Him and we can't survive the wilderness, but we can't survive without the wilderness. We need the wilderness to show us Him, to draw us to Him. But without the wilderness, we just become self, self-reliant and then we self-destruct. That these two things work together. But what we do is we fabricate this imaginary place where we can live in between. But you see, it doesn't exist. There is no in the middle. You can't be kind of in the wilderness and kind of not. It just doesn't work that way. You see, we're totally dependent on God for our next heartbeat. We're we're dependent on God to breathe in the next breath we're going to take. And in this moment, that makes perfect sense. But my question is, what about tomorrow? What about Thursday? How much time and energy has been devoted to hoping and and preparing and planning to see who's going to win the football game. Hmm? Well, where's God in that? I watched the football game. But I got up and read my Bible. See, I don't have time for other things if I don't have time for God. Well, we make up a world that doesn't exist. See, last night, the most important thing in the world can be our team. And this morning, it's you, God. It can be our, our, you know, our hobbies, our interests, our whatever it is. But this morning, it's you, God. No matter how hard we try to convince ourselves. No matter how many people around us. Think that they can do it too. It's a mirage. 
Only Yahweh, the God of the Scripture, only the God of this Bible, only that God rules sovereignly over the universe and personally over the events of our lives, only Him. So after Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to come to heaven, then the next verse uh, is uh, the response, hey, well, then who can be saved? Well, that's impossible. And then Jesus says in Luke eighteen twenty seven, the things which are impossible with men are possible only with God. In other words, you see the correlation? It's impossible. It's impossible to survive the wilderness unless you have God. There's no... There's no other way. There's no plan B. You can't kind of. It doesn't work that way. It's only possible with God. That's it. Only. Otherwise, you might as well be trying to cram a camel through the eye of a needle. You see... Really, at the root of this is this desire within us, in our flesh, to dismiss God as creator and sustainer, but to claim Him as Savior. You see how we compartmentalize that? We say, God, You are my Savior. But we live as if We are our sustainer. You see, you can't survive in the wilderness without God. But you won't find God apart from the wilderness. So do you know why the wilderness is a part of every single life on the planet? Because God has made Himself available to all. And the only way to find Him is in the wilderness. And so that's why everyone's in the wilderness. Because He's making Himself available in the wilderness through Jesus Christ. Number three. Some things we need to know about the wilderness. I think this will help us and then we'll be done. We need to know that the wilderness teaches us humility, but prosperity tempts us to arrogance. Look at what happens in verse 3. So he humbled you, the Bible says, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Humility. But look at the what prosperity does. Verse 12. But when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and you dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, when you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, you see what happens? See, in one sense, the wilderness brings such great humility because we realize that we starve to death if God didn't provide that we would, we would die of thirst if He didn't bring forth something to drink. But as soon as we are full and have plenty to eat and have built comfortable houses and our flocks have multiplied, we forget about the Lord. Not as Savior, just as sustainer. We'll claim Him with our lips. Think about this. 
You know, no one ever brags about the wilderness. No one ever is puffed up and says, oh, let me tell you, man, has my marriage ever fallen apart? Whoo, you ought to, man, it's amazing how it's fallen apart. My kids are so wayward, it's ridiculous. And they just start telling everybody, hey, you know what? I know you wish you were me, but I mean, I lost my job today. I'm going bankrupt. I can't pay my mortgage. No one brags about that. What do we brag about? We brag about the prosperity. You see, notice how in the wilderness there's no arrogance. You see, we're not just prideful people that brag about everything. That's not true. We only brag about the prosperity. If we bragged about everything, it would be a totally different ballgame. But we don't do that. We only brag about the good things. The bad things, we try to hide. We try to cover up. We certainly don't brag about them. Well, Moses is not concerned about whether or not Israel is going to survive the wilderness. That's not his concern. He's seen what God has done. His concern is whether or not they're going to survive prosperity. That's what he's doing. He's warning God's people. He's saying, listen, when you cross over into this land and all this goodness starts flowing out all over you, don't forget the Lord. That's what he's telling them. He's saying it's prosperity that needs to make you cautious. In other words, all of us in this room, me included, We fear the wilderness. We do. I mean, listen, when my phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't jump up and go, hey, maybe it's good news. I'm just like you. I think, I start thinking automatically, where's Kayla? What was she doing? Where's Colton? You know, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm just like you. We're so afraid of the wilderness. But why aren't we cautious in prosperity? Why don't we see the danger of prosperity? You see, when when catastrophe comes into our life, when our circumstances are very difficult, we ask the question, I just don't know if I'm going to get through this. I just don't know if I'm going to survive this. God, you got to help me. I don't know if I can endure this. But no one ever says, God, I don't know if I'm going to survive this new house. God, I don't know if I'm going to survive this promotion. God, I don't know if, if, am I going to be able to handle the blessing of what you've bestowed on me? No. We're just afraid. We're afraid of the wilderness and we pay no mind to the very thing that kills us. Second thing we need to know about the wilderness, the wilderness teaches us dependence on God while prosperity tempts us to self-reliance. And again, it's just so evident here, it it bears repeating. In verse 15, uh, God, who led you through great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land and there was no water, who brought water out of a hard rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna, that God, look at verse 17, but then you'll say to your heart, in your heart, You see, well, my power and my might, the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. 
See, the reason the wilderness is the wilderness for us. I hope that all of this is so resting on your heart. The reason the wilderness is the wilderness to us. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, the reason we recognize it as wilderness is because we recognize our dependence on God. You see, when you're laying in a hospital bed, you can't cure yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't make yourself feel better. You can't make your kids love God. You can't make them come home. You can't fix your problem. So you realize your great need for God in the wilderness. But what about when things are going good? In other words, what about in the high times? What about in the good days? What about when you're... In other words, when you wake up and the sun comes up and it's a beautiful day and you're driving your car down the road and you're thinking, God, I need you. I need you to breathe in this beautiful air this day. I can't do this without you. You see, the... the It's the wilderness that brings this heightened realization to our mind that somehow we think, in other words, so if if something horrible is happening, right? Seems like with a million times, it seems like. Probably tons of you in this room. I mean, I've stood next to your hospital bed. I'm holding your hand. The, the nurses are waiting. They're about to wheel you off to surgery. You are in as helpless of a moment as you could ever possibly be. They're about to make you unconscious and they're going to just do whatever they want to do with your organs and you are completely at their mercy. And then I start praying and I'll pray something like this. God, help my brother and my sister to remember That you're the same God now as you were before they knew they had this problem. The same God, you haven't changed. That you see, in the midst of catastrophe, and we pray, God, please, please don't let my child die. Who says, God, when the child's fine? God, please don't let my child die. They need you to sustain their every breath when they're running around playing. When they're looking for Easter eggs. When they're celebrating their birthday. You're just as dependent on God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It doesn't change when you and I recognize we're in the wilderness. You see, we need God every second of every day Regardless of what we see or perceive as our circumstances. So we, we say things and we know what we mean, but we say, you know, ah, you know, Lord, they just need you to touch them. Well, yeah, they do. But Lord, I need you to touch me. You need the Lord to touch you. So what do we do? Well, what do we do in the wilderness? Well, what did Jesus do in the wilderness? Uh, remember when Jesus is ushered out in the wilderness in, in Luke chapter 4? And he, 
goes out in the wilderness and uh, the devil comes to him and says, If you're the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Verse 4, And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, he quotes Deuteronomy 8. Jesus quotes the very passage of Scripture we're looking at. I mean, down in Luke 24, Jesus says uh, to his uh, disciples, you know, after he's uh, risen from the dead, and they're bewildered as to what's going on. The Bible says, he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in that the pro- all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then notice, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. In other words, when God says in the wilderness, you need to learn that you cannot live by bread alone, that your life is dependent upon your relationship to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then God comes to earth and then He lives a perfect life. He dies the death for us that we could never have paid the penalty for our sin. He defeats death and rises from the dead. And then He turns around and He says, after He's quoted Deuteronomy 8, and He says, now, what is the Word of God? And He says, let me show you how the whole Scripture, beginning to end, all pertains to me. I'm the Scripture. Your relationship to God, your relationship to the Word is your relationship to me. You can't separate them. So what do you do when you're in the wilderness? You obey the Word. You obey God. You walk in obedience to Him. You don't convince yourself, oh, well, you know, this will be all right, or that'll be all right, or we'll just... You know, we'll just do this or we'll just do that and everything will work out somehow. No. No. Moses is saying, listen, you've been walking in the wilderness for 40 years. You're about to go into the promised land and God is going to rain down blessing on you. In other words, you're about to be born into the United States and you're going to live through, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s. And everyone's just going to be filthy, rich, and fat. And there's going to be so much more than you can ever need. And that's all going to happen to you. But beware of prosperity. Beware of what it'll do to your heart. Don't forget the Lord. And so what does he tell him? He said, you don't live by bread. You live by the word that proceeds from my mouth. That's what sustains you. You will starve to death in the wilderness if you're not eating the right food. Well, let's get some good news. Because there is, there is a way forward. There's always a way forward. All hope is never lost. God's good to us in the wilderness. He's good to us in the wilderness. Look at verse 5. He says, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Do you see what a loving statement that is? He says that as a man chastens his son, the Lord chastens you. That's where the wilderness is. All the way back in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, 
In verse 31, here's what the Bible says. And in the wilderness, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. You see, yeah, the wilderness is a desolate place. Yes, it's a dry and thirsty land. But God is carrying you. He's walking with us as a loving father cares for a son. The second half of verse 2, he says that all of this, this 40 years in the wilderness, is to humble you and to test you. It's to do what's good for you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. In other words, it's a test. It's a test. It's not like the tests we take in the world. The tests we take in the world are to separate the weak. The tests in the world are to say, oh, you pass or you fail. It's to weed people out. But no, this is a test like, like a parent does with a child. When a parent, a loving parent sees a deficiency in the character of their child, they test them. They make things difficult for them. They punish them. They chasten them because they understand that that lesson learned today will be so valuable to them in the future. You don't want your child to leave you your, the protection and care of your hand and go on into life without learning how to deal with difficulty and hardship. And so in the midst of the wilderness... Like a good parent, he sees weakness in his children and he chastens us. He lovingly chastens us as he walks there with us. In other words, you don't, when you punish your kids, and I don't know about you, maybe I should just talk about me. When I punish my kids, here's typically what I don't do. Okay, you didn't clean your room, get out of the house and never come back. That doesn't really work well. You see, the solution to not cleaning your room is really not... You know, being a vagrant, homeless, wandering down the street somewhere. So what I want to do is say, you didn't clean your room. And so here's the hardship that you're going to face within the confines of my house. Stay here. Usually the punishment in my house is you ain't going nowhere. Because where's the best place for you to be? Right here under my thumb. Because I love you. That's what God's doing. At the baptism of Jesus. There's Jesus about to be baptized. Mark chapter 1. John the Baptist standing there. The sky cracks open. A voice from heaven comes and says, You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, wouldn't you... To hear that. The God of the universe looks down at His beloved son. He says, Here you are. My son in whom I'm well pleased. The very next verse says, and immediately the Spirit led him where? Into the wilderness. It's not that, it's not that God doesn't love you. He loves you. He loves His children. But we need the wilderness. We need it. Because apart from it, we'll just be shallow, self-reliant, We'll miss God. We'll be a very, we'll be a very uh, little use to Him in this earth on this time. I mean, look at the Lord. You, you feel forsaken today. You feel abandoned today. You've been wounded today. You're suffering today. So was He. So was He. He understands. See, if, if, if Jesus... 
if, if all he is is a, an example, if he only is an example of suffering to you, then, then you're missing the point. He's not an example of suffering for you. He is in a, he's an example of your suffering. He suffered for your sufferings. He suffered the suffering that you and I deserved. That's the example that he is. It's a much more personal example. I mean, he faced on the cross the ultimate wilderness. He didn't deserve it, but he paid the penalty. He walked in the wilderness. So, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust him in the wilderness? Are we going to trust him even when... Just like, think about the children of Israel. You know what their biggest problem was in the wilderness over and over and over? They didn't understand. They didn't understand. If you really study Exodus, what you'll find is that really they would get so frustrated because they would pass things they thought they'd seen before. And it would just frustrate them. And then they would just blow up and start saying, Oh, I wish we would have just stayed in Egypt and we were better off there. And they fed us pomegranates and we're sick of this old rotten manna. It's no different here. It's no different. You know what we do? We get in the wilderness and we don't understand. We don't understand. We don't understand. Why is this happening to me? We don't understand. Why am I going through this? And we have a big pity party. And what Moses is saying to the people, he says, listen, if you've learned anything, half the time you're not going to understand the wilderness. But trust me. God's saying, trust me in the wilderness. Trust me. Because I'm there with you like a good loving father chastens his son to help you, to prepare you. Why does a father chasten a son? To prepare them for a better future. Why is your heavenly father and my heavenly father chasing us in this life? He's chastening us to prepare us for a better future. You know, when God created this earth, He didn't create a wilderness. He created a garden. He created a garden in which the water always flowed. There was always cover. There was everything we needed. Sin brought about the wilderness. But God, through His Son Jesus, made a way for us to see Him in the wilderness that we brought about in our sin. But that's not the end of the story. Because He's preparing us for our future. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 35? That the day is coming when the wilderness and the dry land will be glad and the desert will rejoice and will blossom. The wilderness is going to go away once and for all. The very end of Isaiah 35, the last line says, and there will be no more sorrow and no more sighing. It's all going to be gone. And God's going to usher us in to an eternity with no more wilderness. So this morning, I am not doubting 
that a great multitude of us in this room are in the wilderness. You are in the wilderness. I am in the wilderness. But what I want us to see, what I want you to see, is God's purpose in the wilderness. I want you to see the necessity of the wilderness in our lives. I want you and I to embrace whatever comes as a sovereign God sees fit for us. And when we don't understand, when you you see something that you just think in your way of reasoning and your understanding can't possibly, possibly, have passed through the hand of a loving Father. I just want you to remember what the Bible says. That He he chastens us like a loving Father. That when we're in the wilderness, He carries us. He carries us. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came. To reconcile man in the wilderness. In the wilderness. So the question is, have you been reconciled to God in the wilderness? Are you here this morning? Are you trying to create this oasis in your imagination of who God is and how He relates to people in a way in which the Bible knows nothing of? Listen, you either know Him or you don't. It's real simple. And if you don't, then pray and ask God to save you. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to reconcile you. And if you're in the wilderness this morning, thank God that He's with you in the wilderness. Thank God that He hasn't left you or forsaken you. Thank God that He's preparing you for a future you can't even imagine. And if you're not in the wilderness this morning, remember the Lord and remember your utter and complete dependency upon Him that every breath that goes in and every breath that goes out is a gift from a sovereign God who is our Savior and our Sustainer. Let's stand, bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord God, we pray that You'd have Your perfect way in our hearts, Father. Lord, I lift up, I lift this family to You, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, that You would instruct us today, Lord, that You have worked in our heart in a way in which we'll continue to work, Lord God, that we won't depart from here and just push this aside, but Lord, that it'll work for change in our heart. It'll bring understanding, Lord, into our lives as we face the wilderness that we're in. Lord, I thank You for the opportunity we have as a family to be Your hands and feet by which we walk with one another through the wilderness together. But Lord, when I find myself in the wilderness, it's my brothers and sisters who so oftentimes draw my attention back to You. And I thank You for that, Lord. It's a privilege and an honor to be a part of a family. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, we'd be grateful today for Your goodness towards us in sending Your Son, Jesus. And, Father, that every single person here would one day be ushered into that glorious moment when the 
wilderness begins to blossom. And that which is dry and parched and dangerous and sorrowful will become beautiful and lush and wonderful and joyful forevermore. So, Father, will you save those today who are separated from you? God, call them unto you, Lord. Give them the courage to respond to what you're saying to them this morning. Lord, as we, your people, we come and we'll bow before you and kneel at this altar many and say, thank you, God, for your goodness towards us, Lord. May we not forget you. Lord, may we remember that it's by your word that we survive. You be glorified. Do what only you can do, we pray in Jesus' name.